0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we're going to try to figure out why the wheels came off the bus with the Astros this week. Plus, we'll get into why the few reasons for hope with the Rockets' future haven't looked all that hopeful. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, the Astros have lost three straight. Where do you want to start with them?
1: Well, we can probably blame Greg Lucas. You had him on the show while I was <laughs> gone. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, Greg. Just kidding. I love you, man. No, Robert. I honestly think a lot of it is just the the question marks that we had going into the season. I believe were legitimate. And it, look, this is a 162 game season. I think that with a three game losing streak and you're six and four. Isn't the time to panic, but I, I do think that that some of the things that we were concerned about are starting to rear their ugly heads. And and honestly, when they got off to that big start, you know, there were some things that were kind of unexpected. I mean, you, you know, who would have thought Zach Greinke would give you more mileage in his first two starts than the other starters? I mean, we were thinking, you know, he might go five innings, maybe six, and and he has, but he was pitching great we've just had our questions about Grinky and you know just his distance since he's been with the Astros you know and and then of course a lot of the stars that we were hoping would come through on the offense were coming through Bregman's been hitting the ball better you know and and Kyle Tucker Jordan Alvarez is doing his Alvarez thing but things do have a way of leveling out and and while there are still certainly some questions especially concerning the pitching and then the bottom two of the Astros lineup. I mean, I think you look at Martin Maldonado striking out 15 times in 33 plate appearances. Ugh. He's not a good hitter by any stretch, but but still, that that's a bit high for him. I just hope that can level out as the season goes
0: along. It's amazing how quickly a starting pitching staff can implode. Frommer gets hurt. McCullers goes back to being the pitcher who struggles to get you long outings, as we talked about with Greg, Christian Javier, despite a good ERA only averages 4.1 innings in his first two starts. Urquidy gets off to a bad start, and I guess we'll see what Odorizzi can do in his first start. You know, Stephen, I, I want to go back to Urquidy, though, because I heard something really interesting from Brett Strom. He said he's been working with Urquidy not to throw strikes. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but Strom <laughs> says yeah. Urquidy sometimes has difficulty ending it at bat once he gets two strikes because he doesn't know how to throw that pitch just out of the strike zone that you know somebody's going to chase and if you remember Keikel was the master of that especially in a Cy Young season
1: yeah he certainly was and i think sometimes you you can get into a point where you're trying too hard to to make the target and yeah it does sound counterintuitive but i think you know pitchers of course are always told throw strikes throw strikes and yeah it, of course it sounds obvious but sometimes I th- I think they try too hard. It's like they try to aim at that perfect spot. And Urquidy has been the one, I'd say, that has been the most disappointing or, or the most perplexing, I guess. You know, in Christian Javier's case, I, I've got to give him a little bit of a break because he was a bit behind in spring training. He didn't pitch as many innings just because of the COVID-19 protocol. You know, and him being demoted, you know, people might have raised their eyebrows. But look, he, he needs to get more innings under his belt, even if it's just in a simulated game situation or, or something like that to build up his endurance. I think he'll be fine, but he's just not able to go long enough. And that, that of course, has been a problem for most of the Astros starting rotation. And, you know, Jake Odorizzi making his debut tonight or Tuesday as we're recording this, you're probably going to see that with him. I mean, he's just not going to be up and running, I don't think, yet. So that's part of the problem, you know, with and having his struggles. You would have thought he'd come out with a better, maybe a better start. But it just hasn't happened yet.
0: Yeah, the Christian Javier deal where – so they're going to take him out of the rotation for a couple of weeks because they can go with the four-man rotation with some off days coming up. So that's part of it. Javier, why you take him out of the rotation? Well, I, I think, like you said, they're, they're trying to get him going a little bit because uh, of spring training and COVID protocols and stuff like that. He wasn't able to get maybe some endurance that he normally would have, but also I I think this is going to be typical, Stephen. We talked about it before the season. You're going to take some guys out of the rotation for a couple of weeks here and there because all of these young guys coming off a sixty with a sixty game season, you know, you 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 don't have the endurance that you typically would have with a, a rotation at this
1: point, and and that's going to be something that's just going to be the norm. Yeah, it it will, and then of course you have things like Anoli Paredes getting injured. And, and just unexpected things happening. And then you have guys who hopefully will come back as time goes on. You know, the guys like Austin Pruitt, Josh James, and some of the others who've been out, Pedro Baez, you know, he's on the injured list, but of course he's coming back from the COVID protocol and things like that. So you're you're going to see a lot of shuttling in and out. And, and one of the advantages the Astros had when they finished spring training with the, the pitching staff that they do have is that a lot of these guys do have options and that they can send them up and down a little bit to make way for some of these changes. And it's just going to have to happen when you've got a full 162-game season versus a 60-game season like what you had last year. And a lot of these guys just haven't been stretched out long enough. Yeah, you mentioned Paredes and
0: Baez. All of a sudden, the bullpen's best arms, it's total disarray there. You've got the two of them, the lefties, Blake Taylor and Brooks Raley, are getting beat up. Oh, reliable Joe Smith has been a train wreck. At this point, are you more concerned about the bullpen or the starters?
1: Well, I think the bullpen, just because it had to be used, you know, more than we would like. And, I, of course, I think we expected it. Again, I I don't think it's a big surprise. But, you know, I said at the end of last season, Robert, that with some of these young guys, like a, a Blake Taylor you know, of course, Andre Scrub is another guy who's uh, going to be coming back from an injury, hopefully at some point during the season. But, you know, some of these guys, Blake Taylor, Brooks Raley's not a young guy. He's been around a while, but he's certainly not a, a pitcher. He's, he's played for a lot of different teams, doesn't have a great track record. There's just going to be some regression to the mean with some of the guys that had such surprise seasons last year. So I don't think it's too much of a surprise. Joe Smith, I mean, I, you got to give him a little bit of a break. It's not like he's been hit really hard. I think his uh, exit velocity is something like 83.5 miles per hour. He's he's had some bad luck on a couple of different plays when he's pitched. So I'm not too worried about Joe Smith, really. Uh, but, you know, Brooks Raley, is, is he a guy that you're going to count on for full throttle for an entire season? I have my doubts about that. And Blake Taylor, you know, the jury is still out on that as far as a full season. So... I don't think it's too, too big of a surprise that some of these guys are struggling in the early going. While all this is going on,
0: A.J. Hinch makes his return at Minute Maid Park Monday. He got a nice ovation from the fans. And that led me to think, Stephen, and I wanted to ask you this. If you were there, would you have A, applauded him while you were seated? B, given him a standing ovation? C, booed him? Or D, had no response when he was introduced?
1: Uh, I would have applauded him. I mean, look, you know, A.J. has acknowledged what was wrong, acknowledged that he didn't do enough. I mean, I believe him as opposed to Jeff Luno. Now, if you asked me the same question about Jeff Luno, I would have booed him. <laughs> of course, general managers don't typically get introduced with the lineup. So I guess that's a moot point. But with A.J. Hench, no, I would have applauded him. I mean, look, he came in in 2015 and, and turned this team around from a complete loser to a World Series winner, you can say what you will about the trash can banging, but I just feel like, you know, it, it's not always what you do wrong as much as how you handle it and, and how you react to it. And I think AJ Hinch is contrite. I do believe him when he says he's contrite about what happens. So, yeah, I, I would have applauded him. Not about standing ovation, but look, yeah, I think you knew the fans were probably going to give him a warm response just based on all he did for this club you know, since 2015 when he was here.
0: Well, I wish he could have come out on Monday night and pulled Zach Grinky early like he did in the World Series the last time
1: he was at Minute Maid Park. <laughs> yeah. How about the irony of Zach Grinky getting the ball when A.J. Hinch makes his first appearance at Minute Maid Park? Doesn't baseball—baseball baseball is a funny game, as Joe Garagiola's—the title of a book he wrote many years ago says. It is a funny game because, yeah, Zach Grinky comes out on A.J. Hinch's first appearance as an opposing manager and can't get through five innings and and give up six runs, yeah, you would want A.J. to come out and and, and, and have the early hook.
0: You talked about the offense. It, It wasn't really a case of the offense kind of going into the toilet the last three games as, you know, they weren't hitting at all. It was, they weren't hitting in the crucial situations like they were earlier. I guess my one thought after two weeks of watching the Astros offense is miles straw is exactly who I thought he was a fifth outfielder. And that's why Steven, I got so panicky when Dusty talked about leading him off in ball games this year.
1: Well, i tell you what, I'm so glad that he saw the light and put Jose Altuve in there because he's certainly, I think doing his job in the leadoff spot, but straw. Yeah, we knew what straw is. He's not a hitter. I mean, he's, he's a speedster. But you got to get on base first, and he's got to learn how to do that, not just by hitting, but getting more walks and, and just getting – I mean, he's shown flashes of it. When he does get on base, he can certainly get around the bases. But, yeah, as you alluded to, the situational hitting in the last three games, you're two for 26. That's not going to cut it. you know. And we knew the bottom two in the order with Martin Maldonado, Miles Straw, and those guys, we knew they weren't going to hit. But it just it gets a, exacerbated when – you've got other players that yeah they're, they're getting runners on base but as you saw in the tigers game they left a whole bunch of runners on you know Martine strikes out with a runner on third things like that that's what's going to uh, come to bite you you know they i think they averaged over seven runs a game in the first seven games well in the three game losing streak they've only scored a total of seven runs and that's a lot of the reason the situational hitting yeah the
0: only thing that's Really amazed me recently is Jordan slumping. I mean, he's a guy that you just don't see slump much with the Astros. And it's not just that he's not hitting, he's striking out and he's not walking. That's what really surprises me.
1: Yeah, it is surprising. And I, but I just think that, you know, he has certainly shown some flashes, especially, you know, in that six and one start. He was hitting one, one thing that at least from what I've noticed, Robert, uh, his knees seem to be holding up pretty good. I mean, he's been rounding the bases pretty good and sliding in. You, you almost hold your breath every time he does that because you wonder, you know, what's going to happen. But at least at the moment, and it's still early, obviously, uh, it looks like his knees are doing OK. So I, I think he will get the bat figured out and your is is going to be your
0: while the Astros have been looking bad, they've been looking oh, actually way too much like the Rockets in the last few days. As in, the game feels like it's over two thirds of the way into it, but as ugly as the Rockets look, Stephen, this is kind of what we need from the Rockets, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, They're they're are they in, they're now in rebuild mode. But I, you know, they now officially, I think at the time we're recording this, have the worst record in the NBA. Am I not mistaken in that? But yeah, the Rockets are just, I I can't, I know, Robert, you're a basketball fan the way I'm a baseball fan. I mean, you love watching basketball. I just, I can't watch this team. It's very difficult to watch them. I mean, you see some signs of, you know, flashes of, you know, things like Kevin Porter Jr., you know, getting uh, some good action in the Phoenix game. Armani Brooks, the former UH Cougar, you know, they've signed. I mean, we see things, but these guys, they're they're so deep in the hole right now that you're you're aching for something good to fall back on. And that's where we are with the Rockets right now. Yeah, keep them in the bottom three. They seem to be clutch
0: when it comes to losing in the fourth quarter, which is what they need to be is clutch in the fourth quarter. And that way, if they want to get that top four pick, which they're going to have to. You know, being the bottom three, as we said, to get right. a 52% chance, your best chance at a top four pick, and you need that top four pick or you lose the pick, and, and it drops down to the Miami Heat pick. As much as we need the Rockets to be bad, you also you got to see some positive from from the Kitty Rockets, I call them, like Wood, Porter, Tate, and KJ Martin. And, Stephen, I, I just kind of wanted to go through some of those guys because, you know, for me – it's this is a point where it's interesting as a fan, you you have to look at well what's the future look like and and those guys I'm interested in let me let me start off with Tate because I just kind of feel he is what he is you know he's a rookie uh, 25 years old now so there's no major upside uh, at, with 25 year old he's your fifth best starter on a title contender at best you know that's what your maybe your your high level role play or something like that off the bench. That's what you would hope for with Jay Sean Tate. Steven, the only thing you can really, you know, hope for is a, an improvement for him is his three-point shooting improves drastically because he's not going to turn into a star. So, you know, this is kind of who he is, right?
1: I think so. I, I mean, Jay Sean Tate, to me, is going to be the kind of player that you're seeing right now. And and you're not expecting him to be a, a three-point you know, whiz where he's just going to just make shot after shot after shot. It's, it's the situational ones. You, you get them when you need them. You know, if he can provide that more and give you a little more scoring, I'd be fine with that. But yeah, as far as all around, Jay Sean Tate is pretty much, I think what you're going to see. I, I, I mean, I, I like his hustle. I think we talked about that at the early part of the season, how we just liked his energy and you know, it's hard to do that through the course of a season when you're losing as many games as the Rockets are. But I just, I like Jay Sean Tate's all around game, but it is what it is really.
0: Yeah. And I think as a fan, you go, oh, he's a rookie. But again, he's 25, you know, he's been around. He's
1: an old rookie.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's an old rookie. He's a veteran rookie. Uh, You got Christian Wood now. I'm trying to figure out what Christian Wood is. I thought I knew at the time of the injury earlier this season, I thought I'd figured it out. He appeared to be the second best player, maybe on a championship type team who was a legit 2010 guy, not the guy that you want to put the ball in his hands, you know, at the end of games, but a guy that you could depend on for some big numbers on a nightly basis. His defense was trending upwards, which was the biggest question mark for a lot of people coming into this season. But since he's been back, two things bother me, Stephen. The defense and rebounding have drastically dropped off since he's come back from the injury, which may be because the ankle still isn't quite right. The second deal is his free throw shooting. When you're nearly a 37% three-point shooter with a good-looking stroke, you can't be 64.5% or whatever. It's it's in that range right now as a free throw shooter. That's about lack of focus, Stephen. Those are the two things, defense rebounding, and I got to see a guy that seems like he cares about his free throw shooting.
1: Well, I think, you know, with the flurry of great action that we saw Christian Wood do early in the season, I think we we tended to forget that there's probably a reason that he bounced around a lot. You know, the Pistons didn't really think highly of him enough to, you know, have him there long term, and he was cut from a a team in China. I mean, there are some things about his game that do disturb you. And yeah, the free throw shooting's got to be better. And look, I've always said, and look, I'm not somebody that is an NBA basketball player that knows this, but you know, free throw shooting to me when, when you're standing there and nobody's guarding you and you can't make more than 50, 60% of your free throws. It is a lack of focus. I, I totally believe that. And that's something that absolutely has to get better. And certainly the rebounding needs to get better. That's a lot of what you want him in there for is to get those rebounds. And he just isn't doing it. You know, ankle injuries. I know we, we can always point and say, well, maybe he's just not quite back yet. They can be deceiving. You just never know about them. I mean, it was a serious injury. He was out for several weeks. I don't know if it's that, and it just made his timing go off. But, you know, there are some things you can point to with Christian Wood to say, well, there's a reason he kind of bounced around the league a little bit the last few years. I joked on Twitter a few days ago. I said,
0: with Christian Wood and DJ Augustine, we need to find them the Baylor strength team.
1: Did you see the yeah. Baylor guys? <laughs> <laughs> the Baylor guys. Boy, well, the Cougars certainly saw them, uh, got the most out of that. But, yeah, we, we, they definitely need a strength team that can be get the Rockets back. Because I'm telling you, Robert, this is – I mean, this is even about as bad, if not worse, than what the Texans went through in 2017 with just injury after injury after injury. I mean, it's just ridiculous how some years you just cannot buy a break where that's concerned. Yeah, take Christian Wood
0: into of the offseason. I said DJ Augustine. I am I'm meant G- DJ Wilson or so many DJs and KJs. But uh, yeah. you take uh, – he's not going to be around, by the way, <laughs> DJ Wilson. But you take Christian Wood and you go have a workout with Jayshon Tate because that guy's built like a truck. Now, I, I, the next <laughs> guy I want to talk about is Kevin Porter Jr. And, and this is my most controversial take, let me say. Uh, not a fan of his – Really, I started to buy into the hype after his first couple of games as a Rocket, but I've really grown to believe maybe he's out of the NBA within a couple of years. Uh, Call it a hot take if you want, but I'm uninspired by his hustle, uninspired by his defense. Steven, he'll miss a shot or commit a bad turnover, which he does a lot, and he just stands there like a statue. I've watched the NBA for 40 years, and you've been an NBA fan for a long time, too. And effort is kind of like hype. If you don't have it, you don't just get it one day.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Robert, and it's disturbing. I mean, this is what he, he had trouble in Cleveland with just, to, you know, attitude is a big part of the game. You know, we talk about baseball, and what do they say? You know, pitching is 90% mental. Well, you know, you could say that really in just about any sport, and, and basketball is no exception. I mean, if, if you don't apply yourself, I don't care how talented you are. I've always said potential, you know, the same way that you look at hype. Potential isn't any good until it's realized, and, and that's the same with Kevin Porter Jr. I, I keep hearing, oh, he's got such great potential, and he's talented, and he's this. Look, if you're on the floor, and and you're not coming up with the big plays, and you're not making the big shots, I don't care how much potential you have. You're not doing your team any good, and you're certainly not doing any, any good by standing around. I mean, he is still a young guy, and I think that's what we can point to, Robert, you know, that i Maybe he'll just figure it out. I'm hoping, can you get the the type of coaching that will just make him understand that he's got to apply himself to this league and he's going to be out? I don't know. I don't have the answer. But that's about the only thing I can point to to say, well, you know, KPJ, maybe, you know, Steven Silas can just motivate him enough to figure it out. But that's about the only hope we have at this moment. I know everybody with
0: the Rockets' red-colored glasses on sees him with this Great offensive potential. You know, you hear the Harden comparisons, as we've mentioned on the show before, as you see on Rockets Twitter. Have you heard on you've heard that on the broadcast? But from what I've seen, he's not elite at blowing by his man. He's not James Harden, you know, and and James was a better shooter. And you think, okay, if he becomes a better shooter, which that's definitely possible and you would assume that's going to happen he's going to get better at that. But I've watched a lot of NBA players over the years that couldn't make a jump shot, but still found a way to get past their guy. And the other part about it is he turns the ball over a lot, a ton. And yeah, we saw that with James Harden, but James Harden could do that on some nights and other nights. You know, he was a really great passer. He didn't turn the ball over, but he was always scoring a ton. You know, James Harden was so elite at scoring. And the way he was elite at scoring wasn't just because he could get by his guy. He could draw consistent fouls, which was a criticism of Kevin Porter Jr. coming into the NBA. And it's something I I think I even mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago, Stephen, that he's not really good at drawing fouls consistently.
1: No, and I think a lot of that too, Robert, as much as we talk about effort and the fact that he doesn't seem to have that, I think a lot of that does come with experience I remember when Harden first came to the Rockets and just how terrible he was at ball handling. I cringed every time Harden (laughs) became the playmaker and took the ball up the floor because he'd lose it two-thirds of the time. And while he didn't become a perfect ball handler, he certainly got better as time went on. You know, you can only hope that for for KPJ. I I certainly don't expect him to be Harden-esque in his game, (laughs) you know, but Any kind of improvement with him, I I think, would be upside if if we're talking about upside and just experience at being able to draw fouls, you know, and and just playing a smarter game and not turning the ball over. But again, it comes down to commitment and effort. Do you have it or not? And right now, Kevin Porter Jr. just doesn't look to me like he has it. The
0: thing that you got to think about, and people are saying, what do you mean Kevin Porter Jr. is going to be out of the NBA? Oh, he's, you know, he's got all this potential... He looks like he's going to be a long, long long-term project. You know, he's going to be in his third year next year. Does he get to the player option in the fourth year and the fifth year? I don't think he gets to the one of the the fifth year option. And I I sometimes questioned if he's going to get to the fourth year option. And Steven, I, I think people can't forget that you don't get all day to prove yourself. And the NBA doesn't have time for this stuff. And the Rockets have potentially, you know, if they keep their draft choices this year, they got three draft picks, draft picks in the first round. One of the, those guys could all of a sudden look really good. You would assume one of them is going to be a guard most likely. And Porter's going to have some pressure on him at that point.
1: Well, absolutely. And you led into what I was going to say is that I think a lot of it is going to have to do with what the makeup of the Rockets roster is going to look like next year and the year after. And if they draft wisely, you know, they can make some free agent signings. I mean, let's be honest, Robert, I I think you would agree the Rockets roster is going to look a whole lot different next year (laughs) than it does now because it it just has to. And that's what's going to play into what's going to happen with Kevin Porter Jr. I mean, if he can't make it with the Rockets, then I I think it's going to be difficult, you know, for him to continue to stay in the league. I mean, there are guys who do it, you know, you, you look up and five, six, seven years later, it's like, man, that guy's still in the league. The teams keep signing him. But I, I just think a lot of it's going to have to do with what the Rockets do in the next year as far as the draft is concerned and who they sign as free agents. But yeah, he's got to get it together very soon or else he's going to be watching a home on television more than he's going to be out on the court. Now with KJ Martin, I'm trending just the opposite of Kevin Porter
0: and it has nothing to do with the Sports Center highlight rejections. They're fun to watch. <laughs> I love him, but I've been through the Stromile Mile Swift experience, so being an occasional highlight machine isn't good enough. So unlike Porter, Stephen, he's constantly hustling. His man defense is really good. It's been impressive from a kid that's just coming in and really no college experience either, per se. His shooting has been shockingly good. He's already up to 40% from three. Stephen.
1: Yeah, and I I think, you know, you're talking about the polar opposites there. And, I mean, as far as K.J. Martin is concerned, I I think we saw even at the very beginning, he's a different type of player than Kevin Porter Jr. And certainly a different type of mentality. He is a hustler. He's going to go after the loose balls. He's going to play defense. And and those are, you know, intangibles is a lot of what makes you a good NBA player. Is he going to be a great player? I don't know about that. No, But he certainly can be a good player. Yeah, I I
0: don't see him even as a starter i kind of would be surprised if he got there because i don't know about the skill as an offensive
1: weapon he could be a good sixth man i think
0: yeah i think he's going to be a really good guy coming off the bench as one of the bigs cuz if you look at what he does you know he he doesn't have anything offensively except that good three point jump shot and and his leaping ability around the basket. So that's where I think he's going to really excel. I've got I've got one more kitty rocket worth mentioning before I get to him though. I got to talk about Avery Bradley. I don't want to talk about Avery Bradley because I didn't <laughs> want to see him play at all, but here we are. Thanks uh Silas for that. He's flat yeah. out awful. I'm extremely pissed, Stephen, about watching him play and having to watch it. But then I get a message in my LinkedIn inbox from what says Avery Bradley. It sounds impossible, but this profile looks to be him, Stephen. I have a hard time believing somebody has done this good a job creating an Avery Bradley profile just to message me and say, quote, I'm reading everything you put out. All bad energy and negative energy and stuff you say about me will come right back at you exclamation 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 unquote
1: mm, Robert, you better look over your shoulder when you leave your uh, leave your house every day and uh, yeah, you might want to watch your p s and q s he may be coming after you that's uh, that's intriguing i haven't i haven't read his profile on LinkedIn, but maybe I should check it out just to see what this guy's about but yeah you've made no bones about the fact and and look i I think when when we got him. And Kelly Olenek in the trade, you know, he was certainly the one player that we kept pointing to and saying this is what we've ended up from trading Victor Oladipo and what, you know, what we ultimately get for James Harden. I mean, I think he's another guy that he's not going to be with the Rockets when the season's over, though.
0: Yeah, I think some people might, I don't know, players get the idea that this is more personal about them, that they, you know, they think they're awful as human beings or something. You know, I guess he was upset because I tweeted if Avery Bradley is a rockets is in a Rockets uniform next year, I should say everybody in the front office of the Rockets should be fired, that's you know, Stephen, that's why it's not personal with me it was this was about the front office playing him and bringing him in. you know i I went on to say in the tweet there's nothing more pathetic than watching a terrible team play an awful vet on his way out of the league and if you're Avery Bradley, you see you know, an awful vet. And, but this is more about the future of the Rockets. It's not a personal thing with Avery Bradley. And I just don't see the purpose of it. And this all kind of leads me back to my final kitty rocket that I want to talk about, because as you mentioned, sharpshooting Houston Cougar, Armani Brooks looked pretty good on Monday night. If anybody missed it four for five from three, 14 points in 14 minutes, I've been seething the last couple of games watching Bradley be awful while the Rockets desperately could use a dead eye from three. And Steven, that's what Armani Brooks can bring this team. And it's not like he can't play defense. He did play for Kelvin Sampson and Sampson thought he was good (laughs) enough to be out there.
1: Yeah. And we said the Cougars certainly could have used Armani Brooks in the, in the Baylor game. I'm not sure if that would have made all the difference, but yeah, there's a guy, you got to root for him. He's a Cougar, come on. You, you got to root for him when you play for the Rockets and he's the local guy, you got to cheer for him. But no, I always admired Armani Brooks as a player with the Cougars. Totally different game in the NBA, but he's certainly gotten off to a great start. And it's a guy that, you know, you could keep an eye on him and see what he can do. I mean, at this point, the Rockets, what have they got to lose? They've, they've got to start playing the younger guys. And as I said, veterans like Bradley, they're probably not going to be on the roster at the end of this season or certainly by next season. So why not give a guy like Armani Brooks who who has the shooting touch, can play defense. Let's see what he can do now. And maybe he can fit, you know, again, another guy coming off the bench and in the future for the Rockets. Right. And
0: maybe we're going to have to see more of them because DJ Augustine badly sprained his left ankle. I don't imagine he's going to be playing for a while. Augustine goes out of the game. So the Rockets have yet another injury from one of their rotation guys. So maybe they play more Armani Brooks. I, I hope Armani sort of nudged and sort of kicked the door into, into the rotation after what he did against uh, Phoenix on Monday night. Uh, you know these these coaches though them they're, them and their veterans. But it the reason why Avery Bradley is frustrating is he's supposedly this defensive great guy. Or he just to me he's fouling for no reason, putting guys at the free throw line. When they're not even shooting the basket, it's just all sorts of stuff that he does that bothers me. And he takes a lot of mid range jumpers and he's not a good jump shooter. And if you're going to take jump shots and you're not a good jump shooter, at least shoot from three where you can get three points. If not, don't shoot the ball, but I don't want you shooting mid range when you're not exactly Chris Paul.
1: Yeah, Chris Paul. There you go. There's a good comparison right there. Now, I am curious about something, Robert, uh, because, you know, in a LinkedIn profile, when you send somebody a LinkedIn request, you can you can put a little note in there. You know, most people use the the standard, you know, please add me on LinkedIn. I, I'm curious, what what did um, what did Avery Bradley say in his little note that he put in his uh, invitation to LinkedIn to you? I, I didn't
0: see anything like that. I don't think he wants to add me, Stephen.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I, I didn't think so, but I, I just was curious. You know, did he send you a a, a nasty, you know, response? That's what's what, what I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, no. That I mean, that's what he sent. What I said he sent me is what it
0: what it was. You know, he, he was worried about my negative energy that I was bringing. People could
1: blame you then if he continues to play poorly. They could always say, "Well, it's Robert's fault because he's he's jinxing Avery Bradley. He's he's being hard on him." Uh, I
0: I think he's jinxing himself by. Yeah, the fact that agree. he's just not a, <laughs> a very good basketball player. And, you know, at this point, if you're 30 years old, which I think he's about 30 at this point, if you're 30 years old and you're an NBA player and you have no jump shot and you're a guard, I, I don't know what you've been doing your whole career. And and he's somebody that, you know, I watch him and it's not like he's shooting a, this with a broken elbow or something like that. It, 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 his jump shot should be better. Absolutely. Well, the Deshaun Watson mess continues to unfold. Uh, not really much to say as it continues to unravel, except that Deshaun's sponsors started quickly jumping ship last week. Maybe the biggest story from a local angle, Stephen, was what happened to the Chronicle's Texans beat writer, Aaron Wilson. He made an appearance on a Boston radio station. Before I get your response on this, this, this appearance was right when the women started to accuse Deshaun over three weeks ago. And let's listen to what uh, Aaron Wilson said on the radio show.
2: Yeah, it, it's a money grab, and it started off that way. And then once the lawyer put it out after they didn't want to you know, acquiesce and pay the money demands, then they put out a call for more. And that's what he's doing by using the Instagram is he's trying to attract more cases. Basically, that's ambulance chasing. So why target Deshaun Watson, if he's impeccable, if he's perfect, if he's clean as a whistle, if you're after money, why don't you go after somebody who has a reputation? Why go after this guy? Well, that was a great point that David Cornwell made. It's easier, actually, when you go after someone with an impeccable reputation in many ways because they have the means to pay in a case like someone like Deshaun Watson, and they're more likely to pay to make the whole thing go away. In his case, you know, it's kind of like you don't you know, you know, don't negotiate with terrorists. You know, people are demanding money. They're asking for money. The, it kept escalating. It, it kept going up and up and up. And you start talking about more and more funds. I'm not going to say how much it got to. But my understanding is that there was an the admission that it was, con- you know, something, you know, just that it, this was just a money grab. And that's how they felt throughout that but they didn't expect obviously for this to get to this point.
0: That was a piece of what Aaron Wilson said on a Boston radio show back on March the 19th that cost him his job. I guess, Stephen, what's your reaction as a veteran sports journalist to that?
1: Well, I have to admit, Robert, I I certainly was surprised. I mean, I heard heard the interview, you know, not long after I, uh, it just, you know, as a member of the media, you always straddle that line of, you know, what can you say and what can't you say when you're a beat writer, you know, there's, when you're a columnist, let's say you're if, if a John McClain had said that, for instance, you know, John McClain is paid to give opinions. But even that, you know, saying that it's a money grab without, you know, I, I don't expect him to name his sources, but it's just like he, he just came out and said it, you know, w- without doing any kind of, you know, I, I can't reveal who I've talked to. But some people close to the situation are saying, you know, that's what he does. That's what Aaron Wilson does in a lot of his stories. So the fact that he just, you know, made quite a, a direct hit, basically, he didn't quite say, you know, well, these women are lying. But at the same time, that's kind of what he is saying. <laughs> so, yeah, it did catch me by surprise. And it's just it, it's always a thin line when you're a beat writer and you're covering a team and you don't write that in, you know, the Houston Chronicle. But you come on a podcast on, on a station that's not even a local station. It's somewhere else. That's what created the firestorm I think as much as what he said.
0: He used some awkward language. I mean, we can get into that. He said negotiating with terrorists, ambulance yeah. chasing, etc. He was kind of setting up this scenario of why it could happen this way. And what you didn't hear from Aaron defending Deshaun um or what you didn't hear, I should say, was Aaron defending Deshaun because as he said, I know Deshaun and honestly That might have been his most egregious mistake as I was listening back to this. I didn't play that part, but not just giving it this one-sided argument as to what's going on, but proclaiming he knew Deshaun when he obviously didn't learn anything, I guess, from the Me Too movement that nobody knows anybody. And and Stephen, I didn't like the angle either of Aaron's coverage because this is one of those situations where this isn't like well, is this guy bad or good as a player? This is such a deeper thing with the whole... And, and as you said, you said it perfectly. I guess everybody in the media thinks that they have to give a take. And and, and that's where you could get in trouble on something like this where the, the, you can't give a take until you get in all the evidence. And this is, this is a big deal. This is people's lives at stake and to come out right after it starts and say, I know what's happening. And I know he had people telling him stuff, but unless you're in the
1: room where it happens, you know, to quote Hamilton, then you don't know what's going on. Robert, this is clearly, this clearly has nothing to do with football. This is not, you're not writing a story about whether, you know, Bill O'Brien paid so-and-so too much money or, you know, is the Texans defensive scheme lousy or, you know, this has nothing to do with football. This, as you said, these are people's lives, and it's not just Deshaun's life. It's not a, it's not just a football player's life. It's these women's lives. And look, you know, this is still being played out. This isn't something that has already happened. The courts have made their decision, and you can sit back and look at all the evidence, you know, that we know about, and then make an assessment. You know, th- this thing has not played out yet entirely. And to come out and make some of the comments he did, you know, and and Robert, I listened to the interview, not just, you know, listening to what he said, but how he said it. And I could not help but notice, you know, first of all, and and look, I'm not trying to take a pot shot at Aaron. I don't know the guy personally, you know, like you never meeting Avery Bradley. I've never met Aaron Wilson. You probably know him more than I do, Robert. Aaron is he's not going to be accused of being a peppy personality type you know when you hear him talk on podcasts and and things like that, but when I when I heard him respond to the the two questions that you played on the clip and and really the whole interview, it almost seemed as if he he kept you he kept hearing well, not sure I really should say this, but well I've already got myself into it, so I might as well just go ahead and say it. it it's almost like he was trying to straddle that line of should I say it, should I not? And he I, I guess it was a morning show, was it? That he was interviewed on, they're they're on Eastern time. It, it sounded like he woke up a little bit too early. I didn't. He sounded like he was still half asleep. But anyway, I, I I digress. I just felt like the way he said it was was almost as damnable as as what he said. Yeah, no, he definitely sounded tired,
0: and I believe this was a morning show. And if we're talking an hour ahead, that's Boston time. So I don't know when he had to get up for this, but I, I know Aaron because. I co-hosted a podcast with them, Locked On Texas, for a few weeks. And, you know, right. this is somebody that is a really good journalist that made, I thought, an egregious error, some big mistakes here. I also want to fault the Chronicle a little bit on what happened here because, you know, it didn't look great. The, the whole look for them did not look great because, like I said, this happened March the 19th. This is right at the beginning of when everything was going on. This is over three weeks ago and they waited until this whole thing unraveled on Deshaun and just a couple of days after advertisers pull out, like I said, the advertisers just pulled out on Deshaun and right then they decide, okay, now we're going to get rid of Aaron. So from that perspective, I thought it looked a little bit poor by the Houston Chronicle and, you know, sometimes this stuff might take a few days, but. You know, it's really, really questionable when it takes three and a half weeks and you wait till Aaron looks the as bad as he can possibly look. And that's right now.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, what what did he say over the three weeks period? I mean, I mean, you, you alluded to just the way he was defending Deshaun, I guess, in, in some of his stories. But I mean, is that kind of what you're pointing to? I'm not sure what what could they have done? How, how could they have fired him three weeks ago as opposed to right after something this egregious? No, this happened three weeks ago. This happened three and a half weeks ago. The the interview did. That's right. That's right.
0: It did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so if you're Aaron Wilson, should it have taken that long for them to go over it? Or were they just waiting to see that, oh, Aaron Wilson was totally... Maybe this all of a sudden started to come up, like the interview, like, oh, did you hear what he said? And people started listening back to it. And it's like, this is sort of 2020 hindsight history. And like I said, you know, I'm not taking Aaron off the hook because, you know, to me, the biggest thing wasn't the language. It wasn't the language at all. He kind of was almost giving like, well, how could this happen to Deshaun? You know, because I know Deshaun and he's a good, it, it was that I know Deshaun. He's a good guy thing that I thought as a journalist, you can't do, you can't say, I mean, Look, Aaron Wilson isn't hanging around Deshaun when he's having his private life. And, and let me just also say, Stephen, and you know this, it, it's not like with the Texans, we get a lot of access to the quarterback. The quarterback goes up there for the press conference. And beyond that, you don't get to chit-chat with Deshaun Watson. He's not hanging around the locker room. You only get these little short spurts in the locker room to begin with. And he's not in it. He comes up for the press conference. You ask him questions That's it. Now, maybe Aaron had some private conversations occasionally with him on the phone where he was getting information or something like that. But beyond that, he's not out there partying with Deshaun Watson. And and that, to me, was the angle that I didn't get. And as a journalist, it looks bad. And he's not also a columnist. He is the Texans beat writer. So if you're the Chronicle, you look at this as he's got to go back in the locker room And when you make a mistake like that, you know, people go like, well, what kind of writer is he? What kind of objective writer when, you know, he took this real opinion on something. And when you're covering anything as a columnist, you can have an opinion. But when you're covering that as a beat writer, it's a totally different animal.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to what I said at the beginning when you brought it up. There, there is a difference between, let's say, somebody like, but, but even if even if John McClain had said this, you know, as a columnist, I, I'd almost have to point to it and say, John, what are you doing? I mean, you're, you're making the same judgment on something that hasn't played out. But you're right, and and that's what I pointed to is there is a difference between a beat writer and a columnist because as a beat writer, you're up close and personal with these guys. You travel with them, and yeah, columnists do too. But you're a reporter, you're reporting on what's going on. And yeah, you might have a little slant here and there, but you've got to stick to what you've got to stick to journalism, essentially. And this is clearly what Aaron Wilson did not do in this case. And I think and look, getting back to the timing of the Chronicle, you know, it, it it seems to me that it could be they were just sitting to wait to see if there would be fallout. And once there was, then they just said, oh, we better take action. You know, it's like that delayed reaction where you're just waiting to see how bad is it going to get? Should we do it? Should we not? And maybe that's what happened is that they just, they they waited for the fallout. And when it came, they made Aaron take the fall so that they would make themselves look better. Exactly. And I, that's what bothered me
0: because it felt like a little bit of this cancel culture as to we're going to litigate something that happened months ago when the situation was one way looking at it at this point and then it changed directions and everybody goes, well, you should have known. And, but you didn't, you, you knew what you knew about Deshaun after covering from him for all those years. And, you know, all of the good things that he does in the community and you know, th- this and that, but the thing with John McClain and look, I- I'm friends with John. I like John, but I don't know if I'm a big fan of that just personally as a journalist to cover the team like John does. And again, I I like John and, you know, he would might have a different argument for this, but I don't know if I'm a big fan of, you know, just going after a team the way he sometimes does. He goes after the Texans players and stuff like that, or how they're playing or the coaching or whatever. And then, you know, you being the semi beat writer, which he is now he's, he's different. He's just, John is this weird animal because he's been in this for 40 years. He's got this big reputation that he's built up over the years, but he's been doing radio and giving his opinion for, you know, back to the eight we go back to the eighties when he was on 740 when I was growing up. Right. I, I used to listen to him. Yep. And we're now in this culture where even if you're a beat writer, you've got to have a take. And that that's one of the things that I thought about as I was watching this whole thing unfold is the danger of that where you always feel like you've got to have a take and an opinion and people are asking you, well, what's your opinion on stuff? And if you're a beat writer, you can't have big opinions like that because you get in big trouble.
1: Yeah, that is true. and of course, you know, what, what John McClain does, it, it really is kind of the culture and has been for a long time with sports writers. I mean, there are many sports writers that kind of cross over into radio. I mean, I can point to several people. And in, in Dallas, you know, people like Randy Galloway and, uh, you know, the, the writers like that who uh, certainly are not afraid to speak their mind, not only in the newspaper, but, you know, Randy Galloway had a radio show for years on WBAP and some other stations. You know, you, you can point to him and uh, Dale Hansen, who was not a writer, but he was a, a, you know, TV voice in Dallas, color for the Cowboys. And even, you know, Dale would say some things when he was the color commentator for the Cowboys, it eventually got him fired. <laughs> I think it was, yeah, when Barry Switzer was the coach. So, you know, there there are guys who are going to cross over that line no matter what their position is. And then there are guys who are going to toe the line. And it's just, it, it is a very, and it, it's a blurry thing when you're talking about sports writing versus sports, being a sports columnist. And that's kind of what we have here between Aaron Wilson and somebody like John McClain.
0: Let me ask you this: I mean, in this cancel culture, did you have to cancel Aaron Wilson? Did you have to fire him? I mean, I, I, it's one of these deals where sometimes you just go, "Look, let's suspend the guy for a month, have him put out an apology." And Aaron's already put out an apology.
1: He with, has, yeah, I put it out on Twitter not long after. Yeah. So why not just
0: suspend him for a month without pay and and announce that as the Chronicle, like this is not acceptable. And we're gonna get better, and Aaron's gonna get better. Did we have to fire Aaron Wilson?
1: No, I see. And this is where I have such a problem. And I, you know, I worked in radio for many years, and I can't tell you how many people I saw get fired for lesser reasons. And and you know, you're going, well, whatever happened to the second chance thing? You know, you give some people second chances, and then others, you just usher them out the door just because they're a personality. And you know, a lot of it, of course has to do with advertisers pulling out, you know, revenue is what talks, Robert. And, I, and I've been in situations, I've even been a manager where I had to get in the middle of something where, you know, somebody who was drawing number one ratings on a radio show and they did something who, that pissed off a client who in one case nearly pulled six figures worth of advertising unless that person was fired. So it, it is a very def- delicate line that you walk. I don't like it you know i feel like yeah why couldn't they have just suspended him you know put it on his record it's it's public knowledge obviously but yeah and this it, this is what we have as a cancel culture that if you're a radio host you know if you're working for a radio entity or a tv entity or a newspaper or you know whatever it is and you make a statement it reflects on that company it's not just what you say it's what people view well That must be the Chronicle's position. So we've got to do something about that. We've got to get rid of this guy and show, no, 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 that's not our voice. That's why you and I who are doing a podcast, this is our own thing. We're independent. We can say whatever we want. We can get raked over the coals for it. But who's going to fire us? And and that's the difference. Unfortunately, it's not right, but that's how it is, at least in my view. Right. And I think this is why I love doing the
0: podcast or, you know, with sports radio, your opinion is what makes it interesting. And you, you have an opinion and um, I I haven't done as much as far as being around the locker rooms uh, over the last couple of years because of a variety of things, but really it gives me a little bit more freedom to be frank with everybody and say, you know, look, this is, this guy stinks and this guy's not playing that well. And this coach or whatever, you know, you, you try to be professional about it and try to be, you know, Not too harsh. And and to me, it's, as I said, with going back to the whole thing with Avery Bradley, it's not usually about the players. Uh, You know, when I make strong statements about, you know, I don't like this guy or that guy, it's more a frustration with, you know, the the general manager. Why did you bring this guy in or where are we going with this thing? I, I get more frustrated with the general manager, sometimes with the coach, and you'll see me go after them a little bit harder Sometimes then I go after the players. I mean, James Harden, that's a whole other story because there was just some stuff about him that I didn't like, and I felt like it it, it sort of melted into his play on the floor. But, I mean, you know this, Stephen. It, 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 when you're upset, a lot of times with you know a team's makeup or how they're playing, it's more about who put them out on the floor than the guys themselves, right?
1: Ultimately, it is. And I think, you know, as a journalist, it it is a it's just so hard. There are are days that you have to kind of gauge. I mean, I've covered stories, you know, even at the youth sports level, much less college and professional sports, you know, where you come across something in the story. It it may not be the focal point, but it is mentioned, you know, and you have to be very careful. You know, how do I want to word this? Because I don't want to screw this up for the person, you know, for the entity that I'm writing for. And I think it's just, yeah, when you get into criticizing players and coaches and general managers, I, mean, I think that's expected. I mean, I, you know, cause fans do it and, and you expect a columnist to do that, but it's the social issues. It's things like this. It's, it's things, you know, like the social justice thing with, you know, whether it's George Floyd or, or whomever, and, and somebody has a really strong take. That's, that's very controversial. You know, this is where it it can really blur the lines and get you into trouble if you say the wrong thing. And that's kind of what happened here with the Deshaun situation and Aaron Wilson.
0: Yeah, it feels like these situations are going to come out more and more over the years. What happened here with Deshaun, you know, this is a way that you can come after somebody if you're a woman. And I'm just saying this is in general. If you're a woman, it's been real hard over the years to go after an an athlete or a famous person because a lot of times it's you that nobody knows from Adam and they don't trust and they're like, who is this person? And this has been sort of a culture where women have been marginalized sometimes when they speak out about stuff like this against this behemoth celebrity that everybody's beloved and has built up all of that cachet. So... After what we've seen going back to Harvey Weinstein and some of these other situations, you know, I think that opened the door where if there's more than one person coming after an, an athlete or a famous person and you have, you know, five or 10 and there's a pattern, which usually there is a pattern when somebody's not a good person or somebody's right. doing bad stuff. And again, you know, I don't know what happened with the We're going to wait till this whole thing plays out. But when that happens, then it it
1: makes it a little bit more like
0: David can kind of go after Goliath, so to speak, you know,
1: it does, you know, but then there's the angle of Deshaun's side coming out with almost as many women who, who speak in defense of Deshaun, that, that he never acted that way in front of them. You know, that's something that obviously has to be looked at, looked at, and people are going to take that and say, well, you know, maybe this is just a money grab. Maybe this is his ambulance chasing. And, uh, so it it 's just but that 's why you 've got to let this thing play out and be very careful about what your opinion is, whether it 's of Deshaun, you know of, of these women who are coming forward what is what is their reputation Those are things that all have to be looked at before you can really make a kind of a statement that yes this this is a case of somebody just or, or a group of people just wanting money or an attorney just wanting publicity as opposed to no, this really happened. And this thing is not going anywhere. And and I said this
0: a few weeks ago on this podcast, Stephen, and you heard me say it. I said, as soon as this thing started to blow up, I said, it's over with. You cannot trade Deshaun Watson and get anything for him. If you're the Texans and I'm sticking by this, once this came out, if you're the Texans, you got to hold on to him. And you got to hold on to him for the whole year because he's likely getting some sort of suspension. If not, being suspended for the entire year would be my guess. Uh, You know, things could change here in the next few weeks, but that's, that looks like it's where we're headed. So if you're the Texans, you hope that it's maybe a year suspension or a few games suspension and you keep them off the field for a year. And maybe at that point, some of this stuff goes a little bit into history and maybe you can get something for him right now. I, I, who's going to, Who's going to trade for a guy with this kind of baggage when he's likely not even going to play this year or a lot of this year?
1: Well, I can't imagine anyone. And and clearly, you know, whereas before Deshaun had the leverage, I mean, the Texans, yeah, they could have dug their heels in and said, we're not trading you, which they did. But Deshaun, you know, before this whole thing unraveled, he could have just said, well, I'm sitting out the season. This is how serious I am. But now Deshaun clearly has no leverage. I mean, he, he can't say anything, and he's probably going to be sitting out the season regardless. So, yeah, if you're the Texans, you've got to just hold on to him. You might as well. You, you have nothing to lose by doing so. I mean, yeah, you could outright cut him and <laughs> try to void his contract and all that sort of thing. But that that's a whole other, you know, ball of wax. At this point, wait it out. See what the courts decide. See what the NFL decides. And then once this thing, you know, boils over, which it will eventually. It's going to take a while. Then you see what you have, see what Deshaun's position is. And yeah, he, I don't know how he could ever play for that. I still don't think he'll ever play for the Texans again. But you might as well hold on to what you have at the moment and, and just see what you can get for him eventually, rather than just outright releasing him. In the meantime, I guess as Houston sports fans, we
0: need to hope that the Astros can get that train full of pumpkins out at Minute Maid Park back on the track and get going a little bit. So we've got something positive going forward in the next few months. Please don't let it fall apart on his Astros. No.
1: Yeah, we can't afford that. We've we've had enough bad news in Houston sports. I mean, the Cougars made a good run. You know, I I was out of town, of course, when uh, they lost to Baylor, but they made a good run, so they were a good story, but they didn't win the championship. So, you know, now it's the Astros' turn. Yeah, they're the ones that are going to have to pick up the slack for the summer and get us through it, Robert.
0: Yeah, don't forget. I mean, we can go woe is me as Houston sports fan, but we've had two teams that have Houston in their title, the Houston Cougars and the Houston Astros. And I know some people are still like, who cares about the Houston Cougars? I went to another school. But, you know, as a Houstonian, I grew up, you got to root for the team that's in your town to do well. It's a, it's 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 good. It's good for the morale of the city. And, you know, I love the Cougars going back to the five slam jamma days, but you have two Houston teams that got into the final four in the last few months, the Astros and the Cougars. Hey, that's great. That is fantastic. You're not going to win the championship much if you're a Houston sports fan, even less so. So it's good that both teams got to the final four within the last few months, despite what's going on with the Rockets and the Texans and everything. But uh, just a reminder that you can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at Houston Sports Talk. You guys know all that. Info at Houston It's in the it's in the show description every week. Stay healthy and safe, everybody.
1: You're listening to Houston Sports
0: Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.